let Spencer do his trick Cause you're incapable M's. Hello, my name's Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall. Welcome to Keep Off the Borderlands, a podcast about tabletop RPGs and other tangential topics. Today, as I record this, is August the 1st, the first day of RPG A Day Month 2022. And you may or may not know that I have contributed to this in the past by putting out daily podcast episodes in 2019 and 2020. Unfortunately, I was unable to do that last year. Uh, This year, again, I'm in a similar situation, but I figured there's no reason why I can't still engage with it in other ways. And looking at the prompts this year, they, well, let's say they lend themselves to perhaps putting out a daily tweet, which I'll probably, no doubt, share on Facebook. And, and I'll, I'll probably do a roundup of those. Assuming I'll get out a couple of episodes this month, I'll do a roundup of my responses to those prompts. This year, the, the prompts are in the form of questions which lend themselves nicely to the idea of creating a daily tweet. As it's day one, I will address that first prompt. Who would you like to introduce to RPGs? My first thought is my wife and my kids. And uh, listeners to the podcast may know that I've done some sort of loose storytelling stuff with my five-year-old daughter soon to be turning six. My other daughter is uh, just coming up to her second birthday, so I think it's going to be a while before I get her involved. As for my wife, she's a very busy woman, uh, but we do enjoy relaxing by playing board games together. And one of those games, less of a board game actually, and leaning towards RPGs, is Escape the Dark Castle which is essentially, um, well, it's very similar to a choose-your-own-adventure, except you're working through a deck of cards. It's a very simple setup. The players begin the game escaping from the cell and hopefully end the game escaping from the castle, and you work through a deck of shuffled location encounters, with the last card being a boss that you have to defeat. And it's, um, yeah, it's a really, really nicely put together game. And I think it's just a small step to go from that to playing full on RPGs. And I think probably the Call of Cthulhu starter set, which has, well, not only does it have a solo scenario in there, there's a two player scenario. It's just a matter of me getting myself organized and us finding the time to sit down together for a couple of hours. Challenging, but not impossible. But no pressure. You know, I'm not into proselytizing. I don't necessarily want to convert people who might be reluctant to play. You know, I'm all for making the hobby discoverable for those who might be interested, accessible, welcoming, 
inclusive. But yeah, I'm not going to twist anyone's arm. So there we go. Day one done. Let's get on to some call-ins. I don't think I'm to the end of the episode yet, but I wanted to call in in solidarity, man. 30 degrees Celsius is hot for me, too. That works out to, I think, like 86 degrees Fahrenheit, and that's bullshit. Uh, a lot of people, especially where I grew up in Southern California, would be like, oh, it's a great day. I, I hate those people. Um, being hot is the worst. So I hear you, man. It shouldn't be that hot in Scotland, right? It's not supposed to be. Uh, and then 40 Celsius in England. Get out of town with that shit. It's been hot here all week. Up in the, probably up in the 40s. Definitely above 30 degrees Celsius. It's been up in the high 80s, low 90s all week. And that's supposed to continue till Monday. You know, and when I first moved up here 20-something years ago, it was never like this in the summer. Huh, weird. I wonder what's going on. If only we could figure it out. Peace out. Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Listen to your latest episode. I hope you get out of the dump soon. I know sometimes, you know, the world seems overwhelming, but hopefully you can get past that and, and, and refine the joy in things. So I will talk to you again soon, if not on the air, and hearing you respond to my messages on the Discord. So take care and keep your chin up. So messages there from Joe Richter of Hindsightless and Jason Connolly of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Thanks, guys. Fortunately, that hot weather was only around for a couple of days and things improved greatly. It's still been warm up here, but a lot more manageable for me. And also, I, I hoped, Jason, that throughout that previous episode, my mood lifted because you know i did kind of i think when i started it was at the end of a couple of really tough weeks we were hit with the heat wave which just crippled me and um as i hoped i conveyed in the episode my mood did lift and i was in and have been in a much better place so thanks very much guys really appreciate those messages in fact I've got a few more from Jason. Well, what did I tell you? It's August 2nd already. I haven't even finished answering my calls. And already we're on to day two of RPG A Day Month. Now, if I didn't mention it before, RPG A Day Month is the brainchild of David F. Chapman and managed is it fair to say by anthony boyd of runeslinger the youtube channel and casting shadows the podcast um essentially devised to promote healthy positive discussion within the hobby and the question for day two is what is a great introductory rpg well my way into the hobby was through solo game books and 
I do appreciate a solo adventure as a means of teaching the rules. I find that particularly helpful. One of the earliest examples is the classic Frank Mensah Dungeons and Dragons basic set, the Red Box, the first instalment of the Beckme iteration of basic D&D. Released in 1983, not much of a departure from Tom Mulvey's basic rules, but it uses a solo adventure as a means of teaching the rules. And as I say, I think that's particularly helpful. A more recent example of that is the game I've already previously mentioned that I will possibly use for introducing my wife to RPGs. And that is the Call of Cthulhu starter set for 7th edition, which also includes a solo adventure. So there we go. Day two in the bag. Spencer, this is Jason. I am still listening. I apologize for delayed calls quite behind in my podcast listening. In fact, I'm only on 200 for you, but I will catch up. I will prioritize finishing up your podcast before listening to anything else. Um, as far as solo play goes, yeah, you know, I don't know. I can see a case to make the character, and then if, if you have a character you really want to play, a concept you really want to try, I can see coming up with that character, and then, because if you come up with a character, you kind of understand the world they live in. To me, maybe we think differently. But, and then you can find a system that fits it. But me personally, I like to random rolling. I like to roll my character randomly and see what I get. So I don't have a problem doing the world first because I'm always surprised when I roll character up. As you can hear there, that message from Jason was prior to the last one you heard. And um, yeah, going back to episode 200, where I was discussing solo play and that suggestion from Geek Gamers Solo Game Master's Guidebook, the suggestion that it might make things easier, help to get the game off the ground if you think of the setting prior to creating the character. Now, you suggest there, Jason, that if you've got a particular character in mind, it sort of comes with the world, you know? I, I, yeah, I get that. I get that where Geek Gamers is coming from is more the case of first choosing a system that's not necessarily attached to a setting, rolling up a random character, and that character kind of existing in isolation and I've certainly found that to be a stumbling block in the past. Like you, Jason, I am a fan of uh, random character generation. I do like being thrown a curveball, as I've said in the past. But your approach there, you're clearly thinking of a character that's attached to a world. Therefore, you wouldn't necessarily encounter that problem. So I found Anthony... Runeslinger's message to you in episode 200 very interesting, especially since 
the most recent episode of Frankenstein's RPG has dropped, and they talked about starships and starship combat. I know you listen to that show, so I assume you've listened to it before you listen to this call. And one thing I really found interesting in that episode of Frankenstein's RPG was the recommendation of Ars Magica for the starship system. The reason being the use of troop play and the idea of being on a bigger ship. And that way you can switch. You have pre-made characters for all the different sections of the ship. You know, you have people that work in engineering and people that work in medical and people that work on the bridge. And so everybody would have these. And these don't have to be super fleshed out characters by any means. Um, I, I've never played Ars Magic. I don't know how fleshed out those characters are. But realistically, for what we're talking about here, your characters, all they, you could almost do lasers and feelings, right? You could just do a single stat for these characters. You could only just do skill, honestly. And you wouldn't even have to, it wouldn't even have to be lasers and feelings. It would just be a skill roll, you know, whatever their specialty is. But the idea is during ship combat, you switch and the players switch who they're playing. They're not always playing their main character, but they switch from playing Captain Kirk to now they're Ensign Jones in engineering trying to do something. And then they switch over to HM2 Webley in Medical Bay, right? And... I think that's an amazing concept. I think that would work really well. You know, that way, in, when you're doing your space combat, you could still have your your character who's the main, you, you know, your main um, Sulu of the, sh you know, whatever you call it, the pilot of the starship. They're not really piloting, right? But, you know, whoever's doing that, and you can have your pilot, and you have somebody do the gunnery stuff, but you can also bounce around to these other sections and deal with that like we do in a movie or do in Star Trek, for example, and switch POV to all these things. And that way it's not boring where everybody's just watching one or two players make all the roles. And you're, and actually at that point, you don't even have to get into the really boring, crunchy thing where you're doing Starship combat like you're playing Starfleet Battles, which is a, you know, almost a miniature war game, Chit and Hex war game effectively for for. Star Trek. And as they mentioned on Frankenstein's RPG, you know, realistic space combat would be like, you know, some books like the Honor Harrington books or the, you know, even Forever War or something like that, where it's just, you, you know, well, they fired missiles. Now we have two minutes till impact, that kind of thing. And so that way you can build up that tension and play that back and forth and, and, and you switch. And I don't know, I, I think that would be more interesting to switching POV to the different crews in the different sections of the ship than doing a tactical starship battle. Now, if everybody's in their own little fighters, if you're doing Battlestar Galactic or Star Wars and you're, everybody's in an X-Wing fighter, that's different. But if you're on a big battleship, a, a big spaceship, then switching crews, and, and think about it, you could even do it, obviously, with you know a, a ship of the line. You could do this Napoleonics, you could do it with pirates, anything. Anyhow, I'm curious in your thoughts on that. I know you like to get into character, but I know you also you've played games where you've had to switch POV and which character you're playing, and I'm interested in your thoughts on that based on Anthony's call, and hopefully Anthony will hear this and call, in, call back in as well, because I'm interested in his thoughts of using troop play for space combat, and if that might not entice his players back to being interested in it. 
some interesting messages from Jason there. Now, Jason is responding to messages in episode 200 that were sent to me by um, Anthony Boyd, a.k.a. Rune Slinger, who has the Casting Shadows podcast. And he called in with a series of messages reflecting on his kind of realisation that he utilises a form of solo play in order to flesh out the world in his, I believe it was the alien game he's running, using procedures to work out what other ships and crews were up to in that area beyond what your PCs are up to. And, you know, the switching perspective there. And um, I'm, not, I'm not sure I really got anything to add to that, to be honest. Um, I've certainly uh, considered that idea of pulling focus, where Jason there suggests using simpler rules for working at a different scale, like using lasers and feelings to determine outcomes, lasers and feelings being a very simple system where you're only dealing with two stats. And um, when I was creating Osseus, that I subsequently renamed Pura, I did put something in there about mass combat, where I spoke about reducing... HP using the hit points to represent individuals within a unit. So you could determine kind of larger scale combat using, you know, the one-on-one combat rules and applying that to units. So, um, yeah, as I say, I don't really have much to add to that other than uh, going to listen to Dave Patterson's Frankenstein's RPG podcast, which is always an entertaining listen. And thank you very much for those calls, Jason. Now I can finally get to these unboxings sitting on the top of this little pile is a A5 envelope, do not bend. Now, I know what this is, but let's not spoil the surprise, shall we? Nice. Now, really having trouble today. Fingers not doing what I want. Ah, here we go. The Face Folio, 100 fantasy portraits for tabletop role-playing games. This was a Kickstarter that was part of Zine Quest. What was it? Um, oh, that's nice. Oh, I do love a bookmark. Face Folio and a little uh, QR code on there. Yes, um... Part of ZineQuest 2, that's right. Now, I know Goblin's Henchman had a real shocker with this. Uh, There were lots of unforeseen technical issues and obviously a lot of real-world disruption as well. And uh, as I understand it, 
think he made a little bit of a loss on this. It's not a surprise because this is a beautiful cardstock this book is made out of. The, I mean, the pages are pretty thick. Really nicely illustrated. Um, who's the artist? Marcin S. Really, really nice stuff. So essentially we've got, how many have we got in here? Ten of each. Um, what have we got? Demon blood, dragon blood, dwarves, gnomes, half orcs, halflings, humans, then uh, NPC nobles and NPC townsfolk. And uh, yeah, basically we've got four portraits on each page. Give or take a few pages that have the uh, names for the characters, if you wish to use those. It just, yeah, really nicely put together book. I'm very pleased. I back that. Always happy to support anything that Goblin's henchman is doing. He's a real talented man. What do we got here? Package number two. Um, well, this is quite sizable. Slightly bigger than A4. A95, whatever that means. It's about an inch and a half thick. This is from... This is from Soul Muppet Publishing. Now, I noticed Soul Muppet Publishing had a sale on what I didn't realise is that they sold a book that I didn't realise was available in the UK and it is Magical Industrial Revolution A Pre-Apocalyptic Setting Guide by Skirples Now, this this is something I've been after for quite some time. Uh, I always thought it was a little bit pricey, especially when I was looking at having to have it imported from the US. This is essentially um, a campaign setting. Let's give you a little bit of the blurb. Uh, Magical Industrial Revolution, a pre-apocalyptic setting guide by Skirples. Now, Skirples is responsible for Tomb of the Serpent Kings, an adventure that's thought by many to be the quintessential dungeon for introducing folks to OSR-style play. So, this book is about Atlantis before the tide turned. It's about Hyperborea before it vanished between dimensions. It's about New York City before the mushroom bombs hit. It's a setting guide to the greatest and most ambitious city in the world, Emden. It's about a world slowly tipping onto its side and all the interesting things that began to slide at the start of a revolution. It's about people with grand dreams pushing the boundaries of the possible and the strange machines and devices they create along the way. But mostly, it's about magic. This book contains a wealth of information to supplement role-playing game campaigns, including maps, people, buildings, dungeons, factions, and villains of Endon, eight pre-apocalyptic innovations, 
hundreds of magic items and spells, rules for magic industry, useful tools for urban campaigns, horrible monsters and nightmarish creatures, and much, much more. This strikes me as the perfect companion to Electric Bastion Land. No prizes for predicting that I was going to say that. But, um, yeah, it's just absolutely jam-packed, full of random tables, innovations, great leaps forward in magical technology, and the stuff about the social classes. Another thing that uh, really appeals to me that I'm always banging on about, Ministers of Endon, Scandals, The Monarch, then we've got Social Calendars, Magical Industry, Magical Explosions, Periodic Table of Spells, Spell Spells and More Spells, uh, The Citizens of Endon, NPCs and Rumours, Rivals, Villains, Wrongs and Injustices, Nice Little Bestiary. Exotic and nightmarish creatures. And then we've got uh, dungeons. Um, this is filled with wonderful public domain art that's been uh, cut and pasted and jiggled around to create some very evocative images. Let's have a look. Interior art by Jonathan Newell, Logan Stall, Luca Rayetz, and additional public domain art from. The British Library Collection, oldbookillustrations.com, Project Gutenberg, The Public Domain Review, Zeno.org, and Personal Scans. And uh, yes, just a real, real fun looking book. Oh, and it's just about half an inch too big to fit into my bookshelf. <laughs> That's frustrating. Uh, looks like I'm going to have to create a stack somehow. Never mind. No matter. It's a book worth having. Well, now, would you look at that? It's only day three of RPG a day month already. And today's question is. When were you first introduced to RPGs? Now, my first thought was when I first came across the fighting fantasy game book, Warlock of Firetop Mountain, uh, which I believe I ordered through the Penguin Book Club in 1982. Now, technically, it being a, a solo game book, it did lack that one thing that is unique to RPGs, and that is Tactical Infinity. Because, let's face it, those books were a little bit railroady. And I do think there's a time and a place for a little bit of railroading, maybe just to get the ball rolling or to stop your game grinding to a halt. But, you know, if you're going to use it, use it sparingly. But those fighting fantasy books were my way into the hobby. They did open my eyes 
to what was out there. But it wasn't until a couple of years later when a school friend of mine invited me to join a game of Middle-earth role-playing. And I believe it was me bringing those fighting fantasy books into school that probably brought us together. Unfortunately, that friendship didn't really last beyond us leaving school. I moved to the neighbouring town, and although I still prepared to make that journey to play I recall uh, taking the short train journey and the two-mile walk to his house a couple of times. For one reason or another, the game didn't go ahead and we just ended up messing around in the, the woods out the back of his house. And, you know, I was a little annoyed by that. And rather than me expressing my disappointment, I'm afraid to say I was probably a bit of a dick about it and i started moving in different circles and we lost touch so began my long hiatus from rpgs and here we have another box even larger than before and I believe, I hope, this is what I think it is. Very nicely packed and bubble wrapped. Yes. Ah, oh, this is a thing of beauty. This is Verson, Mythic, Britain and Ireland. And, God, oh, what a gorgeous gorgeous book. I tell you, I don't think there's anything that quite compares to the quality of material that comes out of Free League. I'd say that there is comparable stuff. For example, the old school essential stuff, that great haunted almanac from Nature May put out by Games Omnivorous. And, you know, the Troika books are great for, you know, just consistency in quality of output. Can anyone touch Free League? I don't know. Just beautiful. This is beautiful. So uh, for anyone not familiar with Verson, it's a Nordic horror role-playing game. Now, that's the, the original setting. But this is the Mythic Britain and Ireland supplement. And this was always my intention was to, you know, if I, if I run Verson, I would run it in Britain and Ireland. And, uh, yeah, this is just full of creatures of myth and legend from Britain and Ireland. Just wonderful, wonderful illustrations by uh, Johan Egerkrans, who who's uh, inspired the game in the first place. Let's give you a quick taste by reading out the back colour. Leave the mythic north and set sail for the mist-shrouded isles of mythic Britain and Ireland. Explore the bustling streets of London. Discover the secrets of Rose House and the British society. 
roam the islands and walk the moors in search of long-lost tales and ancient remnants. In this expansion to the award-winning Fearson Nordic horror role-playing, you will find a complete guide to the supernatural British Irish Isles, including the great city of London and the countryside beyond. Mythic Britain and Ireland is written by industry legend Graham Davis and illustrated by Johan Egerkrans and Anton Vitus. Key features, information about the British society, its founders and headquarters, a gazetteer of the sprawling city of London, complete with adventure locations and secret societies, a guide to the mythology of mythic Britain and Ireland with information on a score of mythological locations across the islands, a chapter detailing several mythic beings with stats, background information, story seeds and variants. Three new complete mysteries to play. Just a lovely, lovely book. So here's another box, slightly slimmer this one, but uh, again, it's a A95, a little larger than A4, and let's see, what is this? Oh, Goza, G-O-Z-R, an adventure RPG in a broken future world. This is a very, very colourful book. This is something that, well, I just, when I saw the Kickstarter for this, I had to back it. Um, this is a science fantasy role-playing game by James V. West. Now, um, James V. West is um, an artist and games designer who um, is responsible for the black pudding zine. I think there's uh, about half a dozen editions of that. He also created a game called Howler, which is compatible with um, third edition Dungeons and Dragons. Also did a Troika supplement called uh, Cosmic Metalheads. His art is very cartoony and um, Kind of a little grotesque. It's not unlike the work of uh, Robert Crumb. Now, the the way this this book is laid out, oh, it's about fifty pages. All the text is handwritten. There's art covering every page, so possibly not the most accessible for for those who uh, may have. Visual impairments. I don't know if there is a plain text version, but I'm sure that's not impossible to, to create. It's just a really fun-looking book. It's really a bit of the blurb. Goza. Angry sky bleeds upon a fallen world. Skyworms hunt meat. Fallen towers radiate fading spells. Pretty ones rot in the dirt, lost. The goos rise. 
This is an adventure role-playing game in which you play weirdos called goos in a broken future world, a long-dead pretty people left ruins to explore where you may steal great riches or discover ways to save the earth, whichever comes first. To play, you need two to six players and dice. One player, the Goose Master, <laughs> orchestrates the world with its many weird monsters, electric wizards and sinister robots. A million years ago, Goose were born. You were ugly, low, less than scum, riffraff, suboptimal pests, dirty, dinky degenerates. Yet the angry earth cast off the pretties while sparing goose to live. Why? And uh, yeah, I've not already mentioned it. The goose are, I think it's fair to to say, goblin-esque creatures in a variety of uh, shapes and colors. (laughs) Goza is published by Random Order Creations, printed and distributed by squarehex.co.uk which is one of the reasons why I didn't hesitate in picking up a physical copy. Now, uh, there we've got a character sheet right at the front of the book. If you haven't seen Black Pudding, you'll probably recognize James's art from uh, where he creates character sheets for a variety of games. I've seen white box ones, Troika ones, OSE ones. And, um, yeah, it's just a fun-looking book full of crazy drawings, random tables, treasures, spells, creatures. So, yeah, the the system is, well, it's a free stat system um, with assigning an array of 8, 10, and 14. Lower is better uh, across the stats of cunning, Magic and prowess. It's interesting. Uh, roll a d20 to do risky stuff. Uh, you roll 1d6 to determine your hit points, but your hit points are from 15 to 20. Tough little buggers, I guess. 0 HP equals death or debasement. So defense, uh, subtract from damage. Roll a d6 to determine your armor. Um, Roll d10 for weapons. Yeah, so uh, pretty much everything's generated randomly except for the stats themselves, which is an interesting twist. D66 backgrounds. D20, what are you also wearing? D88, other possessions. Roll for three items. D88 for your name. General rules. Uh, Do most actions. Roll D20 versus AC. Armor class. Rolling high is always better. You have five points of goose. Spend goose to do amazing things. So uh, what can you do there? Pull off a cool stunt, steal initiative, succeed at one die roll, no one fact from the GM, get an extra action, add one new fact 
to the game story. Well, that's a system, basically. So, uh, yeah, and uh, what we've got along with the book, we've got uh, a card, a little postcard with some optional rules on it. There's some A4 sheets here with uh, like four character sheets on each and uh, what looks like a very colourful action-packed poster, which I'm not, not actually going to open right now um and some character portraits so yeah that's fun a colorful gaudy lurid game of comic shenanigans very nice very nice Hey, so it's day four of RPG a day month. And um, well, this is just a quick one, I promise. Because the prompt is, where would you host a first game? Well, at home, ideally, that would be nice. I've got a nice big dining room that would be perfect. But most likely, it will be online because the combination of my mobility issues and living in a rural area means that all my gaming is done online. Although the upside of that is that I've got an entire planet of players to choose from. Now, what's this? Another box. Let's see what's inside. <laughs> About the right size to contain an A5 book or two. What have we here? We have two books from Drive-Thru RPG. The first here is Dark Nation, a Kickstarter I backed. Um, went for the softback. Dark Nation, uncover the truth, struggle for justice, and pay the price. Dark Nations is by Martin Lloyd, creator of Amazing Tales, the uh, adventure gaming system aimed at young kids four and up, I believe. Quick look at the back. What will you do to uncover the truth? What are you prepared to pay for justice? Dark Nation is a role-playing game of conspiracy and terror. But there is nothing supernatural in Dark Nation. The only monsters are people like us and the system we have created for ourselves. In the book you'll find complete rules based on Cthulhu Dark, Guidance on creating a dark nation and its oppressive system. Advice on writing dark plots. Seven ready-to-play scenarios. Four different systems for you to struggle against. Let's have a quick look at the contents. 
This is Dark Nation. Create your nation, investigator resources, create your investigator, doing things, violence, disillusion, advice for investigators, administrator only, creating a dark plot, administering the game, administers roster. Dark Nations and the, the four settings, Dark USA, 1938, Dark Britain, 1985, Dark Germany, 2038, and Dark Italy, 1982. Dark Scenarios, Dark River, The Trial, Restoration Games, Television is Bad for You, Controlled Burn, The Boiler Room, Lockdown. Designer's notes, further reading. Let's have a look at the further reading, shall we? I shed a bit more light on what we're dealing with here. Blueprints for Revolution by Stjar Popovic. How to Win Campaigns by Chris Rose. How Nonviolent Struggle Works by Gene Sharp. Winterhorn by Bully Pitbull Games. Amnesty International State of the World's Human Rights Report, Economist Intelligence Unit, the Democracy Index. Well, I've clearly got some reading to do there. And this is, what, 92 pages of conspiracy-fueled dystopian goodness. The second book I picked up was part of the Christmas in July sale from Silver Branch Games. It's Serpent's Teeth, a supplement for Jaws of the Six Serpents, Tim Gray's sword and sorcery game that uses the PDQ system. This uh, contains writing from Storm Cook, my gaming buddy Scott Dorwood, Tim Gray, Brenda Hingstman, Rachel Hodson and James Malazewski. And um, yeah, I already have Jaws of the Sixth Serpent. I picked it up a while ago. And it's it's one of those games that just really clicked with me. As soon as I saw it, it made sense to me at a time when I was struggling to get my head around certain rule sets. I'm still yet to play the thing. But um, yeah, I saw this supplement. 145 pages of additional material. Look forward to giving that a read. Well, that's about enough from me, I think. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you so much for your calls. If you want to leave me a message, please contact me via the anchor link in the description. You can always email me or leave me an audio message at spencer.freeforall at gmail.com. There's a Facebook page for Keep Off the Borderlands. You can find me on Twitter and MeWe on the Audio Dungeon Discord and various other places on Discord as Freethrall. I'd also like to thank TJ Drennan, for the wonderful music he provides. And it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ.
Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.